Hey there, welcome to the Theology Of podcast. I'm Benjamin. And I'm Riker. And we're two college students who love studying scripture and having meaningful biblical conversations. When we think about theology, most of our thoughts probably stay within the four walls of the church. But in doing so, we're really limiting our understanding of God's infinite nature. And so each episode, we'll be tackling an everyday, secular-seeming topic and discussing what the faith has to say about it, both conceptually and practically. So thanks so much for joining us. Make sure to buckle up, keep your hands and feet inside the proverbial vehicle at all times, and enjoy the ride. Let's go. Hey, everybody. Thank you so much for being here and joining us for yet another episode of The Theology Of. Uh, my name is Benjamin. I'm joined by my friend Riker. You know the deal. Today, we're jumping into a really interesting topic that I think could lead us down a variety of different paths. And uh, it's definitely one of those topics that's very nebulous and void, kind of really way out there. And it could go, again, a hundred different directions and we're just going to see where it, it takes us. So uh, we are going to be talking about the theology of language today. And uh, yeah, definitely a can of worms that I'm excited to to open up. So yeah, Riker, uh, what is language? <laughs> what? Let's start with that question, I guess. what What is language? What are we going to talk about today? Yeah, talking about talking inherently is going to be difficult, but I think we can break it down to the most basic form. So I'd say most basically language is verbal or written communication. Um, Mm. So whatever the medium that's being used, it's this message that's being put across from one party to another party. And it's really interesting that something as complicated as language isn't something that we just came up with, right? There are languages that are invented. Uh, right. Think of like Elvish in Lord of the Rings. Yeah. Or I don't know if you've ever heard of this project that linguists did back in the day called Esperanto, where they tried to make oh yeah yeah yeah, yeah. easiest language that you know is most intuitive to right. try to universalize yeah. language. I remember that. But no, languages even deeper than that it's there's something primal about it that sets it apart from a lot of other things yeah and i think language also just thinking at very bare bones like it's it's ingrained in our social identity like it's something that is often not thought about when we think about just interaction like you don't think about the words that you're going to say in just a casual conversation, you know, usually you're spouting off the top of your head and you're not thinking, how do I piece this word to this word and then make something coherent out of it? Like we're, we're at the point where we can just make sentences from nothing, Hmm. but it's very interesting to think about the opposite side of that when, when it's talking about like language and children and how, uh, social interactivity really goes hand in hand with the learning of language and how we develop our linguistic mind, if you will. There were some studies that went out that basically concluded that children that were depraved of of social interaction when they were younger um, had significant 
language problems when they tried to speak to another human being um, or try and convey themselves in, in speech. And so it is kind of this thing that is very naturally ingrained to, to just our everyday lives that we often overlook in that we don't have to think about it twice. Right. It's this organic process that goes on. And the only times that we do really recognize it is when we're put into a different culture with a different language and have no idea right. what's going on. Exactly. Uh, yeah. And we become especially aware of it. So language is obviously important because you can't argue otherwise without using language. <laughs> right. And not only is language important for everyday life, but it's especially important for theology. And we'll see as we yeah. move now onto the biblical survey that God has a lot to say about language. So, Benjamin, where do we start off? Yeah, I think for a lot of our episodes, we've we've started in the beginning. And I think that, again, is the conception of a lot of things. And that's where we draw all of our roots back to. And language is no different. We draw back to Genesis 1, where God said blank. He said, let there be light. You know, things uh, are being spoken into being. And that's our first example of language. And who knows if it was in any sort of language that humans could comprehend? Probably not. But not uh, English. Yeah, definitely not English. <laughs> uh, are you sure God didn't speak in English? No. Uh, but uh, but yeah. So God was. This was the first example of of God using language and and speaking things into being. Um, which I thought this was a very interesting point. Is this is a stark contrast to the idols of the Old Testament because all of those idols were mute. They, they you know, were begging for, for rain and for uh, f- fertility and for all of these different things from all of these gods and idols of that were worshipped back in the day. Um, but God was, the, the God of Israel was the one who spoke. Hmm. And I think it, yeah, it's, it's a really cool contrast in its most basic form. Like these gods didn't speak and, and our God did. Yeah, that's super important because it shows that language is deeply ingrained into God's identity, specifically in his relationship with the world. He could have just snapped his fingers or, you know, shot a laser beam or something to create everything. <laughs> exactly. But instead he speaks and it even before humans ever show up on the scene, it shows this connection that God is going to be having with his creation. Right. So that's the positive side where language starts, but things quickly fall apart, especially as we move on to the story of the city and the Tower of Babel. You have all of these people that are united with a common language that are trying to oppose God and go their own way. And so 
as a consequence of that sinful nature and kind of as a residue of the fall, God causes their language to be scattered and for understanding to be broken. And so God jumbles up all their languages, and now there's this new barrier that humans face, which is language. Hmm. And so this is a turning point in not only biblical history, but all of history. And so we're going to see that down the road, conflicts are going to show up because of Babel. And so we can trace that thread all the way back to then. And so that turning point led us maybe not so nicely into the rest of the book of Genesis and into the book of Exodus. And uh, obviously, we've been set up for a very broken world and broken community after that, uh, following that that turn and that, that single defining moment that kind of created a chaos um, all across the world. But it... Uh, is very redeeming and I think very interesting how no matter how broken language is and no matter how broken people are after those first few chapters of Genesis, that we still get these crazy events where God communicates with humans. And despite all of that, God God pushes the boundaries even further and pushes past those bound, human boundaries that are now in place uh, and we still get stories like the, the call of Abraham uh, and in, incredible stories like the burning bush and the Ten Commandments where God is still communicating with his people. He's still having dialogue with his people. And this is just very important because our humans are facing this exact problem that God can then overcome. Yeah, exactly. God didn't ghost us, but <laughs> instead he continued to pursue us and use this broken means called language uh, to still speak to us. And we see right. that theme culminate in John 1.1, right? In the beginning was the word. We realize yeah. that Jesus and his ministry is the crystallization of language into a person, right? Mm, yeah, And Jesus becomes that mediator the mouth and the ears of God as he seeks to reconnect with his broken creation. Yeah. And I think the IVP Dictionary of Jesus in the Gospels has a really helpful way of explaining logos and what it means in this context. Here's what it says. Jesus is both the logos of God and the content of his own words. He is both the revelation of God and the revealer of that revelation, both the proclaimer and the proclaimed. However, because of the tabernacling of God's logos, the logos of God is no longer merely spoken and heard. The message of the incarnation is that God's audible logos has become visible. Hmm. Yeah, that's wow. <laughs> ah. Jeez. So this passage clarifies, going back to where we started, the speech that comes out of God's mouth in creation, it was Jesus, right? It's not just this abstract idea that God can speak, but instead it's the exercise of 
his Trinitarian nature and the incarnation is just taking that to a whole different level. Hmm. Yeah, man, I love that. That is great. And bringing us into the time of, of Christ and, and even after the time of Christ uh, into Acts 2, um, Pentecost. This is the, the one of the biggest events uh, surrounding the Christian community post uh, the death of Jesus and, and bringing of all believers together and seeing this feat of, of flames above these disciples' heads and them speaking others' languages and being able to hear. And it's just this incredible sight to, to read and to think about. But, but language is at the core of that. There is this barrier that has been removed by the Holy Spirit and the people that might have been once questioning this movement or even presently questioning that movement uh, of, of Christians and, and the Roman persecution uh, are witnessing firsthand the power of God to remove those barriers between people of, of different upbringings and people of different languages. Um, and so I just think, again, just what a beautiful picture of, of redeemed language, if you will. Yeah, it really is. And it's so cool to think that Pentecost is the antithesis of Babel, right? Yeah, so in Babel, yeah, really you have the separation of all these languages, but in Pentecost, you have it all reuniting. And so, yeah, that's that's the redeeming of language is that God doesn't just leave languages all separated, but he unites them. And this isn't just a singular occurrence, right? But we see this idea of language barriers being broken down continue, right? You have these little instances like the mentioning of tongues in scripture. And even just more broadly, we have the idea of the body of Christ and how there can be community and communication and shared ideas, even with differences in our languages. Hmm. Yeah. And then later in the New Testament, uh, in, in, in more of the epistles, uh, in James 3, we, we get another side to the tongue, tongue singular, if you will, uh, and, and talking about taming it and, and maybe the, the broken side or the fallen side of language um, and how we are being encouraged to keep control of it and, and recognize how much power our language has. Uh, like in verse five and verse six, like likewise, the tongue is, is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. Consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. And, and referencing that our tongue is a fire uh, and, and it can be used for a world of evil and it, it could corrupt our whole body, it says in, in verse six. So it's, it's just a very interesting take on on how important our language is uh, and the words that we use to speak life into others or bring hell upon them. It, it's just this very interesting uh, analysis, if you will, of, of the way we use our language. Yeah, the tongue is powerful and it's something we have to be mindful of, which is why I think this is a really helpful conversation for us to have. And so to tie a bow on the biblical survey of language, we end up 
as you'd probably expect, in Revelation. And I think it's really cool to see how Revelation treats language, especially in Revelation 7, because we have this picture that every people, tribe, and tongue are united worshiping the Lamb. And so we see that language is still there, right? God doesn't just eradicate it like a lot of the other things we've talked about on this podcast, but instead he redeems it. And so language doesn't become this confusing, annoying barrier anymore, but instead it's a beautiful collage that worships God in so many different ways, but is yet still united. of a riddle. Why do we as Christians use the word word to describe both Jesus, right? The Logos and also the Bible. It Hmm. at first can seem kind of confusing that those terms are the same, but I think there's actually deep significance behind it. And we mentioned this a little bit already talking about how Jesus is this communication between God and man. But I think they're tied in the sense that just as the living word, Jesus, intermediates between God and man, in the same way, the written word, the Bible, intermediates between God's infinite wisdom and humanity's limited understanding. Mm. Dang. I, I need to sit with that one for a little bit because that's a really great way of putting that. And I think it's it's really important to understand the reliance that both forms of the word word <laughs> as we use them, the reliance that they have upon each other um, in that the Bible relies upon Jesus and the character of Jesus relies then upon the scriptures and how there's this interconnectedness in how it is so formative and so important to our salvation in understanding who God is, who Jesus Christ is, and how he works through and in our lives daily, uh, that without language, you know, none of, none of this would be possible. We wouldn't have any understanding of who the Christ was and, and who God the Father is and, and, and how our lives are completely and utterly dependent upon them. Yeah, absolutely. It's hard to imagine a life without language. And I think that's on purpose because it really couldn't exist. We couldn't have relationship with God without being able to communicate with him or hear his communication. And that's why it's interesting that the two pillars of application that we return to a lot as Christians is prayer and reading the Bible because those are both dependent on language, right? Either reading the message that God has for us or praying and communicating a message back to God. 
And so, yeah, language is a lot bigger of a deal than we might sometimes think. Seriously, yeah. So that's kind of our appeal to language in general. But to get a little more specific, there are different categories of language with their own significance, right? If we look specifically at names, names both in scripture and names today, the way that scripture treats names, it's not just a label. It's not just some creative thing that an Israelite mom came up with um, (laughs) where she, you know, maybe changed a letter to be cool or anything like that. Are you calling out modern moms? (laughs) (laughs) Should I do that? (laughs) No, instead, it's deeply tied to the identity of the thing that's being named, right? And that, again, starts from the beginning. We see the naming of animals is part of Adam's job in, you know, working the earth. And it's something that shows God handing man the reins, right? God could have come up with all the names, but instead he gives man agency in that. We see that the names people are given more often than not have some significance to the narrative in which they're a part of. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's a tool that the authors of scripture use a lot. We see Israel, just that word, Jerusalem, that word, these things are names that are then downloaded with all the significance that God gives them. Right. And then God himself, right? Yahweh, the name of God. This is a thing. It's not It's not just this empty husk, but instead it is tied to the one which it's naming. And so right. that's why it's important when we see things like don't take the Lord's name in vain. It's not just talking about, you know, saying a bad word or, you know, miss misspeaking, but it's about mistreating God's identity, which, hmm. you know, is shown to us through this name. Yeah. And I think that concept on names goes even farther than than people's names. And certainly there is so much weight in, in people's names and the different meanings that they have, but also just like little phrases and key coined terms and stuff like that, that we'd see in, in maybe the old Testament that the, the Jews who were growing up on the old Testament and the Torah, uh, when, when some of these things that Jesus was speaking about, and, and to be honest, 99% of them probably go over our heads as modern day Christians Um, But understanding that when these scriptures were read to them uh, in the temples and, and, you know, in, in public spaces, like there was definitely, and Tim Mackey uses this great word and I love it. It's called a a hyperlink. They, they, they use words that hyperlink back to some one, two, five, 15 stories in the old Testament uh, that all show a very specific part of God's nature and his identity. And so by using that very specific word, uh, it, it hyperlinks, like, like Tim Mackey says, to all these different things and, and 
brings the whole picture together. And again, as modern Bible readers, especially with as many translations as we have nowadays, like 99% of those things get lost. Um, and so that's something really cool about uh, approaching the, the original language and the biblical languages that, that we have. But yeah, it brings this whole new depth and almost puts the, the Bible in kind of this 3D where uh, things go they have roots because they were originated from a different story thousands and thousands of years ago um, and now are being brought up because people were brought up in those traditions of, of recognizing those terms and, and key names and, and words and stuff like that. So, man, the power of language, there is, there is so much there. Amen to that. Yeah, it's really cool. Just an example of that, if you look at the first chapter of Ruth, right, it talks about Naomi and her two sons, Malon and Chilion. Now, when, when I say that, that probably doesn't have significance to you, right? It just sounds like two random right. names. <laughs> but in the Hebrew, those names mean sickly and wasting. And so as soon uh... as the original audience would have heard that, they would have been like, uh-oh, you know, that something bad's going to happen to them because <laughs> right. their names literally mean you know, sick and almost dead. So that encourages us to do our homework and to really dig into names in mm. scripture. And again, just in general, it's an example of how names are something that are more than just words on a page, but they're something that is intrinsic to having identity to have identity is to have a name. Let's talk about where language has, has maybe fallen in our in our modern day world and, and how through all this stuff that we're talking about with the many uses of language and how language is essential, but you know, it's also like everything in this world, it it is fallen. There's a fallen aspect to it. Um, so maybe let's compare that with with the redeem sort of language a little bit later. But where do you think uh language has fallen nowadays? Yeah, one of the biggest expressions of fallen language that I think we have today is misunderstanding, whether that's mm. misunderstanding through different languages or even within the context of the same language, not getting the message across that we are trying to convey. Yeah, so that's one. And then a, another one I'd say that we deal with is cursing, right? Sure. Words that have this destructive meaning, you know, words that aren't used in a redeemed way, but instead are infamous for being negative. Yeah, I think going along those same lines, uh, like oppressive language or, or oppression um, and berating language that, that harms another individual, obviously that has fallen. Um, um, and that is a way that language can be used to harm and think about, you know, even at its 
maybe not most basic, but, but one of its most basic forms that we probably all endured in middle school was, was a bully, right. Or, or kind of like a, a verbal assault, if you would call it that just a way of, of thinking about how that tore us down, uh, in, in ways that probably left some scars that, that we don't really recognize. So, so understanding that, uh, even just that silly example of, of like a middle school or high school bully, like language, language has fallen and oppressive languages can hurt. And, and then the other one I think that is worth bringing up is, is just the barrier between languages. Something that we were talking about with Acts 2 uh, of Pentecost and how these people, uh, that barrier was removed for them. But also we know that, that that's not the case for, for us now and that language has fallen in ways that, again, Tower of Babel, we can't understand the people from all over the world. But I think turning that on its head and maybe talking now about redeemed language as kind of an end there is is recognizing that no matter the language barrier that we may have, we can still serve the same God. Uh, and that mm. that is a way, even just in, in most basic terms, like worship uh, and praise uh, is is a unified language. I remember going on a mission trip to Costa Rica and uh, I know very little Spanish and we got to sit in on one of their church services on a Sunday morning and we were presented with a little lyric sheet that they gave us at the beginning of the service, had all these lyrics. We were pronouncing half of them wrong. It was kind of funny, um, but uh, we were singing along with them and we were worshiping God together. Despite the language barrier, we were able to to worship God. So I think I think that's a, a really cool way of, of approaching the language barrier. Yeah. It's also important to recognize that just because we're affected by language barriers doesn't mean that God is affected by language barriers. Right? He still mm, yeah. has this universal understanding. And we see with things like the Holy Spirit, you know, with these groans that are beyond words. Um we see this transcendence over language and lordship over language as he continues to use it for his will and for his glory. Yeah, that's a great way of putting it. A couple other redeemed sides of language is encouragement, right? Our language can tear down, just like you were talking about, Benjamin. Uh, it can be really destructive, but it can also build one another up and turn into something beautiful um, yeah it's it's so important that we remember that we not only think about language as a list of naughty words to ignore but also right. as a positive active thing that we're doing um, yeah to say words that do bring life and truth right things to strive for Another one that was was put in a way that I think uh, I really like and I really resonate with um, an article I was reading uh, talking about just kind of the theology behind language and and how unique it is uh, and one of those one of those redeemed portions of language that they were discussing was about speaking the truth and uh, being able to state things as they are and they described it in a really beautiful way they said echoing God's reality. I thought I thought 
I was like, wow, that that's really profound in, in just three words, talking about how we can use our language to speak things as they are, um, as God has made them to be. And so, you know, there's, there's two sides to that as well. There is, there's the positive side where you're, you're calling somebody out for, for what they are. And you're saying, wow, this is a great thing that I see in you. Um, God has made you to be this way. God has made this day to be beautiful. God has made those mountains to be really, really pretty, um, stuff like that. But also it can be used in, in more of a negative sense, but while still remaining positive saying, uh, that sin is, is really, really bad. Or, or I see this habit in you that is turning into something deeper and it's, uh, churning away at your insides and you don't recognize it yet. Or, um, I can look into you and I see where you're headed down a, a dark path and I want to help you. So it's, it's sometimes calling out those sins and sometimes recognizing the bad while using language to, to state things as they are to echo God's reality. That's such a cool way of putting it. And it's so true, right? Another part of us being God's image bearers is that we mimic God's words of creation in our own words. Mm, yeah. So our own words should be creating in a lesser but still significant way. Yeah, that's great. Two other facets to redeemed language is the multilingual diversity. We already talked about this a little bit, but we see language being connected with culture. And by the very fact that there is this diversity, it makes the reunification so much more beautiful. Um, so thinking about that heavenly community, mm. it's beautiful that there is, you know, this idea of everybody worshiping God in their own way from their own, you know, community. And yet it still all goes back to God. Right. And that even impacts the way that we look at missions, right? It can be frustrating sometimes for missionaries as they try to learn a new language and figure things out and translate a Bible into this language that isn't even in a written form yet. So they have to, you know, figure that whole process out. But again, it's the work now that is foreshadowing that ultimate reunification of language. And it's really incredible to see these organizations like Tyndale and individual missionaries that are right. using language to glorify God. Hmm. Amen to that. So there you have a far less than comprehensive look into the world of language and how language is, is so much more important than, than we even realize. It, it goes so much deeper than the basic surface of our everyday communication. And uh, I think it's beautiful to, to end on some of those redeemed portions of language and the ways that we can use our language for good. Um, but it's also important for us to call out the ways in which we are using fallen language um, and helps us reshape our view of, of scripture, reshape our view of other literature, and uh, helps us to continue to bring the kingdom here on earth as we 
strive to be more and more like Christ. Yeah. If you're looking for any of our resources that we used for today's episode, uh, there have been some really, really awesome reads uh, and listens that we've used in preparing for this episode. So um, definitely check those out in the show notes. One in particular that I would love to bring up is uh, a Bible Project podcast episode. Uh, It was episode 186, and it was featuring Dr. Carmen Imes. Uh, It was called Taking God's Name in Vain, and uh, man, really opened my eyes to this whole view of language and, and what it really meant to take the Lord's name in vain. So definitely recommend checking that out. Thanks again for being here with us as we tried to wrap our heads around this crazy topic and see the way that it really is significant to our faith. We hope that this episode and the rest of them in this season have really been encouraging to you and helpful as you seek to integrate faith into every part of your life. Like Benjamin just mentioned, we have those incredible resources in the show notes. We also have kind of an outline of the whole episode and the links to the different music that was used in this episode. So if you want that info, make sure to check that out there. If you want to ask us questions, have any comments for us, you can send those our way by either finding us on Instagram or Facebook or by sending us an email at thetheologyofoutlook.com. Next week, we have another guest joining us on the podcast. I can't wait for you to give that one a listen. But until then, this is Benjamin and Riker signing off. Hope you have a great rest of your day. Thank you.